This week's scripture reading is again from Paul's epistle to the Romans, continuing from where we were last week. Romans 13, 8 and 9. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here ends the reading. When I uh, first moved to Austin from San Antonio and I first graduated from high school, I was amazed by what I saw as a larger uh, group of, of cultures living in Austin. I, it turns out it wasn't true. It was, it was, really, it was really my, only my uh, uh, understanding of San Antonio was so limited that I only knew of, of the people that I grew up around. Um, turns out San Antonio probably has uh, just as diverse, if not more divor diverse set of cultures than Austin, but I digress. When I uh, came, one of the things I really loved um, early on was this this little Indian food restaurant called Star of India uh, over on on Anderson Mill and and uh, or Anderson Lane. And we would go there. My wife and I would go there um, all the time because my wife was vegetarian. Uh, and this was while I was uh, first dating my wife, but then also after we got married. But my wife was vegetarian, and so we would go and they had these gr this great vegetarian meal. Um, great vegetarian options, and it was just fantastic. And they had this amazing artwork on the walls um, that that was this like religious artwork. And you know, growing up, I didn't I didn't really study the religions of India, and I didn't know much about Hinduism or anything. Um, and but I assumed that these were Hindu artworks, and, and this was from Hindu um, religious tradition. But uh, we went there a lot, and so I got, <laughs> I, I got to know the, the people who worked there and talked to them some, and, and it turned out that they actually were not Hindus. Um, they were Sikhs, uh, which is a, another religious tradition from India that's uh, separate from Hinduism or Islam uh, that started, I believe, in the, either the 15th or 16th century. And uh, the Sikhs are, are, are really easy to spot, uh, at least men who, who are Sikhs, because they wear turbans. They wear these big turbans on their head. And in fact, um, after the terrorist attacks on New York uh, since September 11, 2001, 
there were a lot of Sikhs who were persecuted because people, Americans who didn't know any better, assumed that they were Muslims, but, but really they weren't Muslims. They were, um, they were Sikhs. Uh, in fact, uh, usually if, in the U.S. at least, if you see someone wearing a turban, they're actually a Sikh. Um, uh, that's, it, the reason they do that is it's one of their religious uh, uh, following, one of, the, one of their religious beliefs is that they, they are not allowed to cut their hair. And so they, they don't cut their hair or shave their bodies at all. And so they, they grow long beards and they grow very long hair. And so they wrap that hair up in the turban um, to cover it and to have it out of the way. Uh, but uh, so, so the wearing of the turban is, is a very, uh, literally a religious practice um, for them, as is having long beards and everything. But uh, it turns out that uh, Sikhs, a lot of Sikhs run uh, Indian restaurants in the U.S. And uh, in fact... If you if you visit uh, uh, Gudwara, which is a, a Sikh temple, um, you can often uh, receive a free meal. If you just go, they'll they'll feed you <laughs> a really delicious um, uh, meal. And what I noticed about the Sikhs as I, as I got to know them more and and you know I kind of learned about them some online and then I met several of them and and talked to them and uh, and started looking for them in the news and things is that to me. The Sikhs, gen generally speaking, very much embody what Jesus asked us to do when Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the Sikhs are very, first of all, they're they're very humble. Um, they don't draw attention to themselves generally. Uh, they don't, you know, they do they do their work in 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 quiet and in you know in the background. But what they do is so important. They, they feed the hungry. They, they take care of people in need. Um, you know, I, there are lots of Sikhs uh, who work in healthcare, And uh, with the COVID-19 things going on, they started because the, the, the mask, if you wear a mask over a beard, uh, it doesn't work as well. And so they started shaving their beards off, even though this was like a, a core religious tenant of theirs. That's not to shave not to shave their hair, they still did this because because more important than that is loving your neighbor and taking care of your neighbor. And so more important than having the long hair for them was being a good a good neighbor and a good a good human being and taking care of those around them who needed them to shave so that they wouldn't get sick from COVID nineteen. So I just have a great respect for them. Um, and I always think, you know, here are somebody who's really living their religious beliefs in the real world. Now, I'm sure I, I, you know, I don't I'm not a Sikh. I don't I don't know all the tenets of their religion or anything. Um, I have friends, of course, who, who are Sikhs, but I'm sure nobody's perfect. I'm sure there's lots of, of, of uh, people who are Sikhs who, who, who struggle with with their uh, religious life and all this kind of thing. I'm not trying to paint a, per a perfect picture. I'm just saying that oftentimes I see them really living out their, their faith in the real world, and it, it really means a lot to me. And I think that kind of life is what Paul was talking about in our reading from Romans. So let's take a look. Um, again, you know, this is our, our my third sermon now on Romans. Uh, I'm using the, the kind of standard lectionary, so these readings just happen to come one after another in the lectionary, but... 
uh, I think it works well to kind of dig into Romans. But just to, to kind of uh, review, and for anybody who didn't didn't hear those other two sermons, uh, this book that that we're currently reading from, you know, the the Bible is not actually a single book. It's it's the Protestant Bible that that we're using is 66 separate books written by different authors over different periods of time and things. And this book um, is the Epistle of Paul to the Romans, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Rome around the year 55, 58, somewhere in there, um, AD. I forget the exact time, although I have a slide here in a minute that'll, that'll tell me. But um, what was so interesting about this is that this is one of the earliest books in what we call the New Testament or the, the Christian scriptures because the, the Gospels, which we kind of think of as, you know, thematically from a story perspective, they come first, that the life and teachings of Jesus were actually written much later. They were, they were carried on as an oral tradition for the first 100 to 150 years or so of the church. And so they, they, were, they were written down later. But these epistles were written early um, by the apostles to early Christians um, as as a kind of a way for them to answer questions and and keep up to date with people and and spread the teachings of Jesus and specifically in this one Paul is writing to the churches in Rome because no apostle has yet been to Rome and so the the Romans had learned Christianity from the other churches in the area and had brought it back to Rome with them but no kind of religious leader had gone to Rome to give them the quote unquote correct understanding of Christianity yet and so Paul was trying to kind of put it all into one letter and, and send it that way because he was planning to come to Rome in a few years, and he did. He went to Rome in a few years and, went, and was arrested um, and, and then executed in Rome, actually. So, um, but that's the kind of the background of this story. So let's let's look at this reading again. And, and um, I'm using a different translation this time. This is from a translation called the easy-to-read version, which is an excellent translation to use uh, um, for kind of what we would call missionary work or, or work in, in languages other than English. I, I've got some people who are, who are listening to my sermons who, don't, who are not native English speakers. And um, one of the pieces of feedback I got was that the, the readings are kind of hard, which is true because it's in this kind of very flowery, very, you know, formal English. So this is a much, um, you know, kind of a easier to read version. So this is the same reading. You should owe nothing to anyone except that you will always owe love to each other. So here, Paul is saying not to get into huge financial debt. Um, don't, don't take out big loans. Don't, don't maintain huge debt. He's not saying, uh, and there's lots, of, there's lots of debate on this, about whether he's saying never borrow money, and that's not the point of this. The point of this is that you're going to owe love to one another. In other words, love is the, is the focus, not, the, the not owing anyone anything. And he says, the person who loves others has done all that the law commands. The law says you must not commit adultery. You must not murder anyone. You must not steal. You must not, what, you must not want what belongs to someone else. All these commands and all other commands are really only one rule. Love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. So this list of commands that, that Paul just mentioned are from um, what we often call the Ten Commandments in the Bible. They're actually listed two different places, and they're slightly different in different places. And generally, people break the Ten Commandments into, into two sets. So the, the first set of commandments 
that has to do with loving God, and there's a second set of commandments that has to do with loving your neighbor, and these are from the set about loving your neighbor, which um, I think is really important. So Paul is saying that this whole set of commands about loving your neighbor can really be summed up with this one, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, then every, you've done everything else. You don't need to worry about it so much. Um, Paul was very concerned about this kind of um, uh, religious literalism and, and this, this thing where the, the religious people of the time were very formal, very, very, had very legalistic views uh, of things. You know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you are a good, you know, a, a good Jew or a good Christian or whatever. And so Paul is saying, don't get caught up in the legalism. Don't get caught up in the exact list of commands, what you can do, what you can't do. Just remember, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you do that, then you've done, Then, if you, as long as you stick to that core value, as long as everything you do comes from that place of loving your neighbor as yourself, then what you do will naturally be in line with God's commands. Um, it doesn't say to ignore God's commands completely. It just says that everything you do, if it's from this place of loving your neighbor as yourself, then you'll be doing the right thing. And then he continues to kind of expound on this. And he says, love does not hurt others. So loving is the same as obeying all of the law, because the law is about not hurting other people. I say this because you know that we live in an important time. So now Paul is shifting. He's, he's telling you why this is important. Paul at the, at the time and um, I'd love to do a sermon just on this later, but but Paul really believed, and also did a lot of the apostles, um, that the end of times, that the, the return of Jesus, was going to happen imminently with within their lifetime. They 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 really believed that that the end was going to be very very soon. And in fact, you can see there's some confusion when the apostles begin to be killed um, by by the authorities and such. That that in one of the letters. Paul has to address that and say, don't worry, those that have died are going to be there too when, when Jesus comes back. But I mean, the early church really thought that, that Jesus was going to return immediately. And so a lot of things Paul says, we kind of have to think about that. Like, like when he talks about not owing anybody anything, and later he talks about how it's better not to get married at all because, um, because you know, that way you don't have to deal with all of the, the, the complications of having a romantic partner and all those kind of things you know, he's coming from a place of, he thinks, he thinks that Christ is going to come back, you know, within our lifetime. So if it, if that's the truth, then, then why, you know, then his point is why bother with these things that, you know, just follow what you're supposed to do. So we have to think a lot about that when we kind of decode some of Paul's writings later. But for now, just understand what he's saying here. He's like, we live in an important time. We live in this time when Jesus has, has just come and has been resurrected. And now Jesus is going to come again. And he says, yes, it is now time for you to wake up from your sleep. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And even though we now don't, don't think that the end of times is coming right away, that it's coming within our lifetime, this is still true. I mean, salvation is always closer to us now than when we first believed because of the way time works, right? Like we're always moving towards, towards it. So it's still important. His, his, his message is not lost. His message is still, don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't don't say, you know what, next year, next year I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But this year, I just, I've got to do this. He's saying, do it now. Grab, grab it by the horns. Do it right now. Live like 
the end of times is going to come tomorrow. Then he continues, the night is almost finished. The day is almost here. So he's thinking he's he's talking metaphorically about the night being the the time before Jesus' coming, second coming, the and the day being the second coming and when Jesus would come again and would bring his kingdom into being. And so he's saying the night is almost finished, the day is almost here. This also, by the way, echoes what we hear in the Gospels, again, which were written later, um, that talk about um, Jesus coming like a thief in the night when nobody's ready, um, and that you have to always be ready because you never know when he's going to come. So, he continues, so we should stop doing whatever belongs to darkness. That we stop doing whatever was from the, our past life before before we adopted lives like Jesus' life. We should prepare ourselves to fight evil with the weapons that belong to light. Again, lots of metaphors here. We should live in a right way, like people who belong to the day. We should not have wild parties or be drunk. We should not be involved in sexual sin or any kind of immoral behavior. So now he's saying, you know, look, I know that before you learned about Jesus and before you learned about what God wanted from you, you used to do these crazy things. You used to have crazy parties. You used to get drunk all the time. You used to, you know, um, sleep around. You used to do whatever. But now that we know, uh, we shouldn't do that anymore. That's what he says. And uh, this is one of those parts that's really tricky in the in the in the English because he uses words like licentiousness and um, things that are uh, not so commonly used nowadays. But the point he's trying to make when he talks about wild parties, this is the the, the word in the Greek refers to um, basically um, a a uh, a city festival. Uh, in Japanese, we would say matsuri. That's you know like like a like a a big festival to get there, but in in Greece, in ancient in in Rome, these festivals were huge parties, and everyone got drunk, and there was lots of uh, there was lots of uh, of sex between the people involved, and just, I mean, just they were just crazy, crazy parties. And so, um, what he's saying is, you know, don't don't go out and have crazy parties, don't get drunk all the time, don't you know, don't uh, be involved in sexual sins, or, you know, adultery and these other things. Um, don't be living immoral lives. He says, We should not cause any arguments and trouble or be jealous, but be like the Lord Jesus Christ, so that when people see what you do, they will see Christ. Don't think about how to satisfy the desires of your sinful self. So in the English translation we saw earlier, it said flesh. And uh, in Greek it says flesh, but um, the, the Greek word uh, flesh is, is separate from the Greek word for body, and, or from and it, it it means specifically it 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 has a negative connotation. It's talking about um, the the kind of uh, base instincts that we have. The the kind of you know uh, again it's the sinful self, right? So what he's saying here is this is the important bit from here. I think be like the Lord Jesus Christ, so that when people see what you do, they will see Christ. That's, that's the important bit here. And that's what he was trying to tell to tell the people of his day. So I guess the next question here is, so what? <laughs> you know, 
that's so what? What, is, what does this tell us today? I mean, this, you know, Paul was talking to a specific group of people in a specific time. He was talking about uh, events. Again, he thought the end of the world was coming very, very soon. And I mean, uh, for him it was in a way because um, just a few years after he wrote this, he, he went to Rome. And uh, when he got to Rome, he was, um, he was uh, persecuted and, and, uh, and put to death. For his beliefs and so you know for him it, it was kind of kind of over but but he thought that that jesus was going to return uh you know within their lifetime and so his urgency is is perhaps different from our urgency but nonetheless i think we have urgency um we we have lives now and and we need to do what we can in this life I think one of the problems people have with Christian universalism when they when they learn about it, especially a lot of, of people who were raised in in the church, especially in evangelical or or um, fundamentalist uh, Christian denominations, is that they've they've been taught as they grow up, and you hear this a lot in, in a lot of congregations that that you know you you were saved, or you're so lucky because you're saved, and and you know if you want to be saved, you have to do these things, you have to you have to live this life. You have to, you have to, you know, be free from sin. And we say, you know, God forgives you and God loves you no matter what you do, no matter who you are, even if you never hear of Jesus, even if, even if you're the Sikh uh, who is out feeding the poor and the, and the, and the homeless, you know, you are saved. Um, and I think some people, what they hear is they hear that well, that means I don't have to do anything. That means I can live whatever life I want. I can I can be gluttonous and I can I can sleep around and I can you know I can party all night and be drunk all the time and and that's fine you know whatever it's you know I have a get out of jail free card. And on the one hand, I guess I mean in, in a way they're they're technically correct. That is what we're saying, but <laughs> but but not really because what we're saying is is not that there's no punishment that there's no justice in the world uh in the in the afterlife what we're saying is that god will eventually reconcile you back to god god will eventually convince you that what you have been doing has been wrong god will eventually convince you of of what it means to be right with god and so it's not that you have a get out of jail free card it's that um, your jail sentence will not be eternal. <laughs> your, your jail sentence will not be forever. Um, you know, you'll not be tortured for all eternity. Um, you know, that that's that's what we say. It'll, you still will have to repent. You still will have to turn away from from your mistakes and realize that they were mistakes and apologize within you know to yourself and and to God and and try to make things right. You know, uh, repent means literally to turn around, you know, to turn back to God uh, and away from the, the, the sins of the world. And the point of being a Christian is to understand that God forgives you and that God loves you and to take that understanding and allow it to change your life. Allow it to make you a better person. Allow it to make you someone who is willing 
to really accept criticism, to really hear that you have aspects about yourself that need to be changed, to really live into those changes, to, to treat other people the way that you want to be treated, to live your life, as Paul says, such that people see Christ in you in the world. You know, there's lots of metaphor in the Bible of the New Testament about the body of Christ and that the church is the body of Christ. And I think what it means is that we are the, literally the bodies that represent Christ in the world. We are what people see when people see Christians, when people hear about Christians, they see us. How many so-called Christians, how many so-called Christian leaders have had scandal after scandal, have, have done horrible things in the name of religion, people burned at the stake, people thrown out of their homes because they were gay, or worse, put to death. All of these things, that's what people see and so many so many people in our society today see that see christianity and they think of those things um, you know i live in japan and and uh christians account for a, a, about one percent of the population of japan so less than a, than a million people and when I talk to people, it's not like people don't know Christianity, don't, don't know of Christians. But when I talk to people, they're always shocked that I don't, for example, hate gay people. Like, they're always shocked that, that I can be Christian and still, and still love other people and not be judgmental and not be um, kind of that a negative person around other people. I mean, they're so used to hearing Christians be people telling them how they should behave and how they should not behave, that that behavior aspect is all they know about Christianity. They don't know about the message of God's love. They don't know about the message of radical acceptance and radical welcoming. All they hear about is that, well, you're not supposed to do this and you're not supposed to do that. And, you know, being gay is a sin and, you know, all in this and that and this and that. And that's what they hear about. So when I go to talk to them, I'm, I'm always fighting uphill because the first thing I have to do is convince them that Christianity is not always like what they've heard Christianity is like. So what I want you to do when you leave today, when you go away from here, is I want you to live your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see Jesus. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's, it's a simple thing to do. We all have our problems. We all have our, our demons that we fight with, metaphorically, of course. We, we all have our, our, prob our, our cultural things that we have been um, raised to believe and, and to understand and that we're fighting against. We're all working inside this system of powers and principalities in the world that, that tries to tell us, no, you know, buy more, do more, work longer, you know, think about yourself, don't think about other people, take care of yourself. Uh, we have to fight against that every day, and so it's hard, and we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect, but we should try our best.
do our best, even if you, if only if you only do one thing every day that really embodies what it means to be a Christian and to have a, a, a life changed by Jesus. If you only do one thing, you know, if you you help that, you know, you help that that homeless person to, to find a meal, or if you, you know, if you help your friend who who needs to help help him move or something. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a huge, like, earth-shattering thing, but it's just those little things that make a difference. I mean, look at my, my like I said, my example of the, the Sikhs who, you know, if you show up at their temple, they'll feed you. You know, it's not, it's, it's not a huge thing. They're making a meal for everybody at the temple. They're making, you know, all the, all the people who, you know, they're just having their regular meal. And I've experienced this in Christianity. You know, I, I went to a church in, um, in Oakland, California, um, the name of which escapes me, which is really horrible. I don't, I'm so sorry. Um, but I went to, I went to a church there, a, a traditionally black church, had a fantastic experience. Um, just one of the most welcoming places I've ever been. And I remember when I showed up, I showed up between the services. And when I showed up, the woman who, who met me at the, at the counter or whatever was like, have you eaten? <laughs> and I was like, no. And she called, oh, we got to come, got to get some food. And so she, cause I didn't know, I didn't realize the church service was going to be like between two and three hours long. But, <laughs> but so she whisks me into the, into the kitchen and she, and she goes, she into the, the like dining room and she goes into the kitchen and brings me out a plate of leftovers because they've all had lunch, but it was like 30 minutes before I got there. And she makes sure that I eat before, <laughs> before the, the, the service. I mean, and it's such a small thing, but, but that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus sat down with people and made sure they had food. And that's the feeding of the 5,000, right? Made sure they had, you know, clothes and, and what they needed to, to live and that they knew they were loved. Um, and it's so, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to tell people, you know, I care about you. And, you know, and God, God loves you just the way you are. And you don't need to be somebody else. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's the message of Paul. <laughs> so just remember that you are loved. <laughs> I love this image. You are loved. God loves you just the way you are. You don't need to be somebody else. Amen. <laughs>